The Lord be with you. Let us pray. We yield thee hearty thanks, most merciful Father, that it hath pleased thee to regenerate us with thy Holy Spirit, to receive us for thine own child, and to incorporate us into thy holy church. And humbly we beseech thee to grant that we, being dead unto sin, may live unto righteousness, and being buried with Christ in his death, may also be partakers of his resurrection, so that finally with the residue of thy holy church, we may be inheritors of thine everlasting kingdom. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Do you know from whence comes that prayer? Holy Baptism. The prayer book itself is spiritual direction in a really unique way. If you look at the front page, beginning with baptism, and look at the journey through which it takes a person, stage after stage after stage, it reminds us of our incorporation into Christ. And so what I'd like to do today with you is to talk a little bit about spiritual direction, what it is, what it isn't, some elements of it that I think are significant. We've got a short period of time to do this in. This is a very complex uh, practice uh, and requires uh, commitment, focus, uh, and love for God uh, to, to really participate in in an effective way. Uh, my name is Mark Manise. I'm the uh, rector at St. John's in Greensboro. My background uh, is degrees in uh, philosophy and political theory, biblical language, early Christian literature, uh, and in spiritual direction. As I tell people, I had the absolute best academic training in biblical language and early literature that you could get. I went to Vanderbilt, to Oxford, back to this country, and got absolutely lousy formation. I had no spiritual formation, lots of academic formation. And it was later in life, in, in, the, in the practice of ministry, more and more as people were asking, help me pray, help me discern, help me know what God wants me to do, that I realized that, that there was a whole gap in, in the life of people as we try to grapple with the Christian life. There's a long and storied history to spiritual direction. Maybe it seems new to us. But if you go back into the first couple of centuries of the church, the Desert Fathers in Egypt practiced spiritual direction with people. Those of us who are Anglican and love the prayer book, those of us who are Anglican and love the prayer book are Benedictines. Whether you know it or not, every major Benedictine abbey became a cathedral in England. And Cranmer didn't create the prayer book by himself. He took many of the Benedictine offices and reworked them. The Benedictines literally kept Europe from collapsing. And that entire tradition of praying the Psalms, and the Psalms are strikingly incredible for the spiritual life if you're working with people in a variety of settings because there's really nothing in the human condition that they don't speak to. Sometimes I think they even give voice intentionally to things that we shouldn't say so that we can see them in our face. There's a kind of reverse effect, you know, uh, that goes on. 
And all the way up through the centuries, Ignatius of Loyola, who started out as a layperson and has an incredible life story, and eventually de developed the Jesuit order, which is where much of my training came from in spiritual direction. St. Teresa of Avila is uh, one of my favorite saints. She's credited with a number of things. One of the things is she supposedly, supposedly overturned her cart one day in northern Italy in the winter and got soaked to the bone in her habit. And when she got out, she looked up and said, if this is how you treat your friends, it's a wonder you have any. Uh, and, that, I mean, there's, and the thing about this, not only is it humorous, but it's this sort of transparency before God. But, but one of the things that I, ways that she describes God in her Italian, passa di amore, passa di amore, crazy in love, crazy in love, that God is crazy in love with us. How many of us feel that way or do we beat ourselves up so much over sins real or imagined that we've really decided ahead of time for God that we can't possibly be loved. The spiritual life begins with that sense that God literally adores His creation. And guess what? That means me. That means me. The whole of the spiritual life starts not from fear or from a bargaining position, but it starts with Passa di Amore. God is crazy in love with us. And I like to tell people that the love of God for us and our love for God really ought to be the animating principle of existence. It's what gives life to the dead. It calls us constantly into communion with God whether it's in the sacraments, whether it's in interaction with each other. And like St. Ignatius, I believe that we can find God in all things. It may not always be apparent. Spiritual direction is the process of helping peel away the layers of that so that we have that opportunity. So what is spiritual direction? Spiritual direction is about our fundamental identity. It is about being made in the image of God. I have two granddaughters who live with me. Uh, one is 15, uh, has had a really difficult time physically and, and, and emotionally, and the 13-year-old who is the beast. Uh, their personalities couldn't be more different. They could not possibly be more different. And yet, encountering in each of them over and over again is this experience of how it is that God makes us in His image. Creativity, the capacity to love, the capacity to give, the capacity to live with open hands. That's all comprises parts of the spiritual life. And so spiritual direction is about fundamental identity, the image of God within us, and developing intimacy and growing in that. It's not just recognizing it, but it's growing in it, both temporally and eternally. And I, I made notation here of two places in the prayer book that I think articulate this beautifully. One was in the prayer 
that we started with out of baptism, and the other is in the flood prayer, so-called, the consecration of the water at baptism. Look at those prayers. My goodness, what are we saying about the nature of creation? We're saying that in that water of baptism, the one who brought everything into being out of absolute nothingness chooses you, chooses you in this water. And water both gives life and it kills. It kills what it destroys us, sin, and it gives life that we can't give ourselves. That, that's absolutely astounding to stop and think about. Spiritual direction is asking a set of questions. Who is God for you? And if we had time and if I were training people in direction, we would explore for a couple of days the images of God that people bring with them because they're powerful images. Some of them are powerfully positive and some of them are powerfully negative. And how do they work? Who is God for us? Secondly, where's God in our life? Do we ever stop long enough in the midst of all the things that are going on? I had dinner a week ago with my spouse, and we sat across from a family with of four. And the thing that we noticed is that none of them ever spoke to each other. Okay? They're texting. They may have been texting each other. I don't know. You know, <laughs> they, they, may, they may have been texting each other. Father Glenn texts me from the other end of the, during, you know. So I'm going to take it away from him, Bishop. I'm going to take his phone away from him, okay? Uh, but, you know, here, here we are, these people, here we are made in the image of God, capacity to commune with each other. And, you know, what sorts of images, how do we recognize God's activity if we are so fraught up and caught up and things that probably don't matter in the end, you know? You wouldn't, as I used to tell my son, you wouldn't walk in and when you go out and buy a new car, I said, don't buy a new car. You go out and buy a new car, would you, if you came to me as an investment banker and gave me $40,000 and said, tomorrow I want it to be worth $32,000? If the love of God for us and our love for God animates who we are animates life, then why do we need to waste time on things that simply mute that, get it in the way? And how is it that you hear and recognize where God is active? And this is one of the key elements in spiritual direction. I like to tell people that the first rule of the spiritual life is it ain't about you, it's about God. You and I aren't the center. I mean, that's the problem with Adam and Eve. As Luther once commented, sin is curvatus in se, the heart curled around itself, making oneself the center. And spiritual direction is about being called constantly away from that propensity to ask, where is the activity of God taking place in my life? It's Trinitarian. And the reason it's Trinitarian is because God is the original community. God is the original community. Father, the Son, who is the beloved, and the love which stands between them, which is the Spirit. And that model is the model of spiritual direction. 
It is always Trinitarian, always incarnational, sacramental, and it's always connected to a community. As a spiritual director, and I will simply tell you, I have more people ask me for spiritual direction than I can even talk to for an initial interview because there are just not a lot of people around who do it and who are trained to do it. Well, one of the questions I ask is, what is your faith community? Because if you aren't caught in a faith community, then spiritual direction is simply playing that vertical game with God. It doesn't take the horizontal. It's not complete. One needs to be part of a sacramental community because the sacraments constantly feed and fulfill that yearning after. So I'm going to bring a couple of examples to you. If you want to think about spiritual direction and maybe some ways of considering, I don't have any of you in here are golfers. Uh, I'm not. You? Oh, uh, Miss Erdoti is a golfer. There's a movie that's been out for a number of years. It stars Matt Damon and Will Smith. It's called The Legend of Bagger Vance. It's about a black caddy who shows up in the South and tries to help Matt Damon who just keeps shooting himself in the foot. But it's really about spiritual direction because Matt's lost his swing. He's lost his capacity to live life. And the game is simply a metaphor for life. And Bagger Vance is the spiritual director, Will Smith. If you haven't seen it, it's worth reading and ask the question. There's a load of questions I can give you to ask if you ever do that as an exercise to reflect about the nature of the spiritual life. The other is scriptural, and that is the parable of the Good Samaritan. You know it. You've heard it. Jesus is confronted by a lawyer. says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Who's my neighbor? I mean, we keep pushing the limits to see how far we can push it away from us. And Jesus finally tells the story of a man who goes down from Jerusalem to Jericho and falls among thieves and is beaten up and he's left what? Half dead. Let me use a little allegory for a moment. I don't really think Jesus is giving us a geography lesson. It is true that if you go from Jerusalem to Jericho, which is a 15-mile trek and it's an awful road, <laughs> you drop 3,300 feet in elevation. But what do Jerusalem and Jericho represent? Jerusalem represents the well-ordered life life centered on the temple, the life centered in worship, the life centered in the community, the life centered in justice, the life centered in service. Do you know what Jer Jericho was? Did you ever see Star Wars? You see the movie Star Wars? You know the bar scene? That's Jericho. We assume the man is an innocent person who falls among thieves. The text doesn't tell us that, but he's on the wrong road. He's on the wrong road. His life becomes occluded in some way. Darkness falls upon him, whether it's from himself or whether it's from outside. And the Samaritan really represents what spiritual direction looks like. 
The Samaritan tends to the wounds, to the hopes for healing, puts that person in a hospice, essentially, the church's life. What does he use? Wine and oil. Does that sound familiar to you? The sacramental stuff in that is just oozing out of the text. Contemporary, it might be, someone comes to you, they're successful, they've got a good business, they have a good family, their children are staying generally out of trouble, life seems balanced, and they come to you and they say, Father Klein, there has got to be something more than this. There's got to be something more than this. That is a cry for direction. That is a heart that's yearning for something more in this life than what I've been told is successful and what looks like the good life. <laughs> you know, Il Doce Vita, the good life. Read through Scripture and you will see in the parables of Jesus these things that give you an idea of what goes on. Why seek spiritual direction? Why do you think people... Say, how many of you in here have ever been in spiritual direction uh, for any length of time? About nine people. That's really good. Most time when I'm working with groups, it's two out of 20 who even know what it's about. At one point in time in England, if you were an Anglican and you asked for spiritual direction, you were told to leave the Church of England and go to the Roman Catholic Church because it was seen as a papist sort of thing, a control. But why do people come and seek for direction? Well, I've given you a list of things in, in here, and I guess you can add to them. But to live mindful of God constantly creating us and bringing us out of darkness and chaos, I think that's what that parable is about. There's a great deal in the world and often, unfortunately, in ourselves that occludes the image of God in us. Do you know the name for Satan in the New Testament, Piarazin in Greek? It means the slanderer, the one who skews our true image the one who skews the real image put in us, which is the image of God. And if you stop for a moment and look at the person sitting next to you in this room, the image of God is sitting there, alive, breathing, and maybe ready to be a place of grace. Sometimes I look at the people next to me and go, <laughs> Can't, ain't possible. <laughs> And then something surprising happens. Something surprising happens. It's to fill our hunger. The bishop quoted St. Augustine yesterday, Oh Lord, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. That's that seeking process. Spiritual direction is to help us find out what God hopes for us. It's terribly easy on our own to tell ourselves that what we want matches God's will. And spiritual direction helps keep us honest. <laughs> it helps ask those questions. To learn to reject absurd desires, pointless yearnings, choosing to stand in the Spirit of God. 
to learn what's necessary and be shaped by the holy. You could probably add to that, and I'll ask you in a moment when we have some interaction with each other, you know, kind of what, what might you add? What have you experienced in that process? The companion. This really relates to what Father Sean was talking about in training people in parishes. We use the term spiritual director, but the truth is the real director is God. The real director in spiritual direction is God. My role is to sit with you and ask questions that you may not be looking at in order to help you see how God is acting, where God is acting, what it means for you at this moment. That's really the function of the companion. It's not therapy. It is not therapy. It's not counseling. We're not trying to solve interpersonal problems. It may affect how you deal with your interpersonal problems, but this is not psychotherapy. It's someone with training and or experience who has a director as well. If you go to someone and ask, will you do spiritual direction? The second question is, are you in direction yourself and receiving supervision? If the answer is no, go out. Go. 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 This is communal. It's communal. There's no such thing as private practice in this process. It's someone with whom you can develop deep trust and honesty Stable, here are some of the traits I would suggest. Stable, kind, gentle, but firm. A respect for confidentiality. Detached. You know what I mean by detachment? I don't mean disinterested, I don't care. Detached means the ability to create a boundary that allows you to see what's really happening. Whereas if you don't keep that in place, you're not able to see it. Um, I'm, October 11th, I retire. <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah. Uh, after 23 years at, at uh, Twin Lakes as pastor of an 800 member community of, uh, of senior adults. Uh, over the age of 75. So I do about 40, 45 funerals and requiems a year and more hospital visits than I can think of. And I've been doing that for a long time. And I had a staff, and I'd been there about a month, and the director of the place came and said, how you doing? You, you look a little stressed. I said, I'd be okay if it weren't for the staff. And he said, what do you mean? I said, I can pinch this one, and that one yells, ouch. <laughs> they're, they're so embedded in each other, such a lack of boundaries that they weren't differentiated. And there's all kinds of things. that A spiritual director needs to know and listen to the issues of the person they're caring for and not confuse those with their own. That's why supervision is really, really important. In the parish, how do you go at this? The first thing I'm going to say to you is we live in a time, unfortunately, where there is not a large number of people doing spiritual direction. There is a website that you can check out called Spiritual Directors International. I'm a member of Spiritual Directors International. They certify spiritual directors. They do some really goofy stuff that I don't want anything to do with. Uh, you know, it's, it's spirituality out in the 
realm elsewhere. But you can look on that and find people who are connected with denominational centers that do spiritual direction, but there are not large numbers of those people around. So the need to develop that practice so that people are available is uh, really, really important these days. Secondly, uh, there are retreat centers uh, and those kinds of contexts where you can begin to make connection. And I really do recommend periodic retreats. Now, one of the hardest things for really busy people to do is quit being busy because it's addictive. It keeps us from having to live with what's going on in us. And when you have to be quiet, things that you've kept suppressed just have a way of working into what John Henry Newman called the aboriginal vicar of Christ, into your conscience, you know. It's a great phrase, isn't it? I love that. And thirdly, I think looking at other parishes, but doing group forms of formation is a good place to start. You have to be careful about the selection of that. You have to know when people are too fragile to manage. Uh, the priest really is the person who should be able to observe what goes on. But there are a number of really, really good resources for doing parish-style groups that look at creating spirituality groups that celebrate together, that receive sacrament together as a part of the parish, that do study and read, but who mostly pray because essentially spiritual direction is about prayer. And prayer is about dialogue. It's about communication. Years and years ago, I was sitting in an interview and Father Mike Ward, God love him, most of the time I do, uh, Father Mike Ward said, you know, you got all this stuff going on in your life. How do you stop and listen? How do you stop and listen? Where do you stop and listen? Uh, I highly recommend the use of some of the Ignatian models of retreat work that are set up and developed so that you don't have to go on the 30-day retreat. You know, in the original, I've done one of these. It's 30-day Ignatian retreat. Uh, you go away for a month and you do this retreat. I mean, it's really intense. But they're set up now so that they can be done. Margaret Silf, and I think I put her name on here, uh, has a book uh, called Inner Compass, which is really set up to do Ignatian model where you read scripture, but you place yourself into the story. What is it that tracks you to the story? What do you hear when you hear that story? And why is it that that character seems to speak either to me, for me, or even against me, you know? And she has a really fine book. Uh, Michael O'Brien has another called The Ignatian Adventure. Uh, the third person was my director, uh, the director of my graduate program, uh, Joe Tetlow. He was head of the Jesuit order in North America. Uh, and president of Brown University, uh, and just an incredible, insightful spiritual director. I think spiritual direction 
really is critical in the life of people who are searching. We are seeing at St. John's the last six set of people that we have had join the parish are all 40 and under, all with children. Almost all were either previously Roman Catholic or members of evangelical groups who said one day, there's got to be something more than praise music. There's got to be something more than what I'm hearing uh, with a 40-minute homily. And when I ask my pastor, teach me how to pray, they kind of stumble, mumble, and go someplace else. I think the people who are coming to us are coming because of the richness of the liturgy. My first experience with the APA, the very first Sunday that I worshiped in an APA parish, I went back and told my spouse, these people really believe in God, which was something I doubted in some other places I was sort of waltzing through at the time. The need for spiritual direction is really great. It may be short-term for some people, and it may be prolonged. But the opportunity to give people not only education in scripture, education in music, children's education, but the opportunity to develop their interior life so that the journey with Christ gets deeper and deeper and animates all of life. I couldn't hear you. Um, oh, uh, Society of Jesus, Jesuit. Yes, sorry, I didn't. What kinds of things would you add to the list? What do you think people are looking for? What would you like to have if it was open to you? And I think it's really important not to assume that we have to have an immediate answer to that quest. We need to invite them into the journey of the quest because we all have to discover who God is for us. Who God is for, for you, Ms. Haynes, isn't necessarily the same place that I am because God's infinite care and love is much larger than any of us. Mike, did you want to say something? I, I wasn't sure. I thought I...
I know one of the things that happened in seminary, and you know, it, it, it builds, uh, there's a built-in accountability, you know, at least at, at most seminaries. I know when I went to Sewanee, uh, to, you know, you had to go to, yeah, yeah, I was there when Terry Holmes was there, believe me. Um, and, uh, you know, but you, you had to go to chapel. You went, you went to morning prayer, evening prayer every day. And there was a built-in accountability, but there was also a shared community, which I think is one of the things that really becomes important. Uh, I pray the offices every day, but I have to say that there's a different quality when I pray the offices here with all of you guys, you know? And it's not just the voices in the hymnody. It, 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 it moves me away from that isolation that is, can so often be a part of our lives. Uh, I know by and large, except for a couple of people, nobody's going to laugh at me if I turn to the wrong page and start the Benedictus when I should have started the, the today and, uh, you know, kind of thing. St. Ignatius Saint Ignatius of Loyola borrowed from Thomas Aquinas the phrase finding God in all things. That is that the creation is so blessed. If you ever read Gerard Manley Hopkins uh, 
poem about the Holy Spirit hovering over creation, uh, that the creation itself is imbued. And we live in a culture um, that I quite frankly think is sick. Uh, and I don't simply mean that morally in terms of a kind of debauchery that one can see, but I mean in terms of its unstated philosophical assumption, which is materialist. That is, everything is reduced to the measurable materialist level. And so it sort of dissipates out the realization that it's the divine that animates it. And is in fact, uses. I mean, the critical phrase, the critical dividing line between the Reformation and truly Catholic theology is in one little Latin phrase. Finiti capax infinitum. The finite is capable of conveying the infinite. And the Reformed churches added the word non to it, meaning it can't. And it, it, it creates a whole different understanding of how we experience God, where we encounter God, how we discern it. And direction is living out that observation with other, with someone who can ask the question and help us see what spirit's animating it. That requires careful listening. Yes. My theology informs how I hear, but it does not, it is not the filter by which I accept people or reject them as human beings. DJ, you had your hand up. Stops. Everything. I mean, when I pray that, everything stops. Everything slows down. 
Yes. We needed to come, and has there been any change? And I, I think that may be something what you're talking about. I'm not sure. It is. You think about it for a moment at, at, at the baptism of Jesus. Uh, the Gospel of Mark is uh, the most straightforward. We know that gospel, uh, the, the Gospel of Mark had to be written by a man because there are minimal details. <laughs> what did you do today? I went out and did, you know. Now, seriously, you know, Jesus is baptized. He comes out of the water, and what happens? Thou art my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. That same thing happens to us when we're baptized. We're being made over into that image. Sometimes we skew the image. And spirituality is about being called constantly back into that relationship. So we kind of become icons of Christ. 